we'll get uh, we'll get right to it. Let's begin by uh, asking the Lord to bless us today as we study his word. Jesus, we're so thankful for this opportunity to come into your house, Lord, to be together with one another, Lord, to be uh, in your word. I pray you would anoint this time together, anoint the atmosphere, the the, the, our hearts, our minds to receive and let your word find a lodging place in our heart and provide the growth that we need and the instruction that we need in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Um, we may not have um, uh, screens and, and media and slides today, depending on how quickly Nathan can get the problem solved with the computer. So bear with us if we don't. Is that did I hear progress? Was that the sound of progress? All right, good. So we, maybe by the time I'm done, it'll be, it'll be up and, <laughs> and we'll be good to go, right? So, I, but I do know that this class uh, that Jason has kind of um, worked, worked towards taking notes and that kind of thing. And so there are some things that you may want to jot down, some scripture references, um, some, a couple of points that I think would be worth jotting down. So if you want to prepare to do that, uh, however you like to take notes, I do encourage you to do that um, today. I want to, I'm, today I'm just going to speak to you kind of from my heart. I, I mean, I have pages and pages of notes here to kind of keep me on track, but I really just want to talk to you from my heart and give you kind of my passion. Um, you know, we use the term sometimes my burden, um, what, what God's been dealing with me about, what's been on my heart, what's been on my mind. And um, there, there's, a, there's a couple of things kind of going on in, in my world, in my mind, in my heart, in my life, I guess, the things I've observed, things I've been praying about. And uh, maybe I, I think, to me at least, they're related um, in some ways. If, if, as I explain it, if it doesn't sound related, that's okay. Just welcome to my mind and my world, right? It doesn't always have to make sense. But um, there's a, a, hopefully you understand and you realize that there is a, tremendous, tremendous change in our culture and in our society, um, things that probably were, were, were not as front and center as they used to be are more front and center now. And it feels to me oftentimes like, like the battle lines are being drawn in some ways and that we're, we're under, it just seems like, to, I, I want to be clear, I, I, it feels to me like a spiritual war, a, a spiritual attack. And I think it's, it's end times and things that the Bible said would happen Okay, so there's that kind of going on. The other thing is, is I've, I've noticed in, in my um, job, my, um, my profession, I guess, my day job, I could say it that way. Um, I, so what I do, I work for a workers' comp insurance company, and um, part of, a big part of my job is going out and building relationships or, or solidifying existing relationships with insurance agents. And I know everybody has a high opinion of insurance agents, right? <laughs> right, Brother Aaron? <laughs> Love insurance agents. But So I hope what I'm about to say does not hurt your, uh, your high opinion of insurance agents. But most of the, of the folks that I work with are very, very affluent. They're very, very affluent. Most of the time it's because these agencies that I go in, they're second and third generation insurance people. So they, they've just developed business and, and, and pipelines for business over decades, over 30, 40, sometimes 50 years. And so you're talking about a very affluent um, type of people that I work with. So for example, here's a, here's a conversation that happened just this week. I go into an agency and I ask the people I was meeting with about the owner of the agency and, and he's, a, he's getting on closer. He's probably semi-retired. He's, he's on kind of into retirement years. And they said, oh, yeah, well, he's, he's in Europe for two weeks with his wife. And uh, when they come back, 
They're going to spend a week on the, on the East Coast, which this guy is a pilot and has his own plane, so he, he flies all over the United States. So they're going to fly all over the East Coast and visit family and friends over there. And then the big decision they need to make is whether or not they're going to buy a yacht for their uh, second home in the Florida Keys. And so this is, this is his world. This is his dilemma. This is a world I don't know anything about, all right? This is, this is I, just, I just act like, right? So, um, so I, I just act like I know what they're talking about and, and kind of roll with it. But So I'm saying that to say this, that I have to, to check myself sometimes. Now, there, there's no hope that I'm going to ever own a yacht or an airplane, so I'm not talking about that. But it's easy to get caught up and start thinking, well, you know, I don't have you know, X, Y, Z, or I don't, you know, I don't, you know, I don't even have a cabin on the campground, let alone a second home in the Florida Keys, right? Like, I mean, what, what kind of status do I have, right? And so then the next thought is, well, how do, how do you get there, right? How hard do I have to work? What, 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 how, what do I have to do to design my portfolio and my investments and, and money and, and, and wealth? And, and how do you build wealth? And, and so all of a sudden, now in your mind, you're all the way down this track talking about uh, values that the world has placed upon us, values in, in a mold that the world is placing us in. And I have to remind myself often that I'm not investing in a, a, a world system or worldly values. I'm investing my life and my priorities in an eternal success system or an eternal value system. I'm living my life by a measure of success that, that the world doesn't understand. I don't measure my success by how many airplanes I have or how many yachts that I can purchase. That's not how I define success. But I have to be intentional about reminding myself of that. I have to be intentional and wake up every day, spend time in the Word, spend time with God so that I keep myself oriented in that direction and not forget that I am just passing through this life. I, I learned this lesson very early in, in, in my life, in my adult life. I, I came out of school, got a job at a corporation, and um, just just early on, there was this man there that we called him Mr. Paul. And uh, he was he was an older man getting close to retirement. And he was just he was a legend in workers comp. I learned so much from this guy, especially as a new kind of rookie, um, you know, and not only rookie in workers comp, but a rookie just in corporate life and all this. And and Mr. Paul was just a, he was everybody's grandfather, man. He'd go out on break and smoke a pipe, you know. He had, had the beard to go with it. He's just, he's just everybody's grandfather. And so I don't remember if it was that first. I started in, in the summer. I don't remember if it was that first Easter that next spring, but it was certainly within the, the first couple of Easter's, just within a couple of years of me starting there. Mr. Paul didn't come back from Easter break. And, of course, after a couple of days, I thought, well, man, he's, he's taking a long Easter break. And, and they said, no, he's been diagnosed with lung cancer. Now, the thing about it was Mr. Paul had been talking a lot about retirement. He was really, he, he had invested his 40 years. He was ready to, to spend time with his family. He was ready to, um, to retire and enjoy the fruit of his labor. And he got cancer. And, and actually, he didn't die. Thank God he didn't die from cancer. In his case, he, um, he actually got to live several more years. But ultimately, health problems did, um, did take his life. But what I learned from that is when you, when you live your life, all your life, just for retirement, or you live your life to get to some sort of financial goal, or, or some or artificial goal that the world has, has said is important to us and we've believed in, and then you get there and then something happens that you have no control over, like a health issue or, or, or an untimely death or whatever, you know, it, 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 I learned that lesson early on from watching him because 
um, because it's just not there. It's, it can be very fleeting. It can be the Bible in Proverbs comp- compares it to a bird that every time you, you get up close and you almost grab it, it flies off. Uh, it's called the biblical foundations of success biblical foundations of success and I came across this material uh, sometime in the second half of last year and as I went through it it was so it just meant so much to me I thought it was so good I actually set my family down in the living room and we went over some of it with the kids I just felt like it was they're never too young never too soon to talk to start talking to them about eternal values versus the temporary values and and again we're in, in this human condition that we're in, this human state that we're in. This is this is what we know. This world is what we know. This is this is this is all we know as far as that goes. We're born into this thing, but we have to have the intentionality and the and the walk with God that says, "I'm living for something beyond this world. I'm living for an eternal value. I'm living for an eternal purpose." So, what I want to do today, I want to talk to you about biblical foundations of success. How does the Bible define success? We know how the world defines success. I just gave you a couple of examples. How does the Bible define success? How are we a success by biblical measure? And so I want to talk about that. If we have time, and I'm thinking we won't, but if we do, I want to go into the first uh, foundation of biblical success, which is our values, our values. And if if we don't get to it today, we'll, we'll get to it, you know, the next time we're together and have an opportunity. So let me make a few statements here. It is needful as Christians and and even and especially as apostolics for us to live our life by the biblical definition of success and not allow the the world to force us into its definition of success. And so the first thing I want you to know is biblical success is something you are, not something you attain. So biblical success is something you are not something you attain. And, and so if you, if you were to do a Google search or even just walk through a bookstore, you would see so much material uh, on success, on self-help, on how to be better, on how to make money, you know, the, the, the millionaire next door, think and grow rich. All, all, there, there's, just, there, there's unlimited supply of all these things, and there's nothing inherently wrong with any of them. I've read many of those books. I'm into that stuff. There's nothing inherently wrong with it. But what you have to be careful, even even in the Christian, let's just call it self-help world, ultimately, ultimately, if you're really honest, when it comes down to the end, they're really preaching a prosperity message. There's nothing wrong with being prosperous. We're going to look at a scripture in just a minute that talks about being prosperous. But what it does over time is it conditions our minds and our hearts to think in terms that may not be 100% biblical. In other words, we might be chasing a worldly definition of prosperity and not a biblical definition of prosperity. There's a guy that I, I've, he has helped me tremendously, and it's not John Maxwell. You guys know I'm a John Maxwell fan, but I'm not talking about John Maxwell here, and I'm not going to call the guy's name. 
a wonderful, wonderful self-help guy. I have learned so much from him from, on time management, on um, scheduling, uh, priorities, um, how to just, just how to be successful in, in your career and in, 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 in your family and just trying. He talks a lot about work-life balance, which is, is really, he says, is a myth but how to, how to at least keep all of that in proper tension. I, I mean, the guy, I, I've, I've told Farrah many times, he's almost like sitting down with, your, with a good, wise father and, and just helping you because he's had decades of experience. But when, I, when you really distill it down, and I've been following him long enough now to know, at the end of the day, he's trying to make money. He's, he's doing all of this to make money for himself, which is okay. You got to make a living. And then, and, and, and over the years, he's, he's changed a little bit and going from helping you with time management and that kind of stuff to helping you try to launch internet business and make money online and all that. Again, nothing inherently wrong with any of that. You got to support your family. You got to be prosperous. You got to make money, got to do those things. But over time, it can condition you to have the wrong priorities. That's my point. So even with self-help and success and all these things, we have to, we have to weigh it against Scripture. You have to filter it through Scripture in an eternal worldview. That's, that's the point I'm trying to make. So, for example, let's look at Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Nate, will we have that on the screen, buddy? All right. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm read over that, if you will. I want to highlight the very last phrase there. But notice what what God tells Joshua he has to do to be successful. I love that, especially in light of the Bible quizzing and the, the study of the word that has been priority around here over the last several weeks and months. Talking about being in the word, meditating on the word and doing God's law, essentially. And then God promises, then you shall have or then you shall make your way prosperous. There's that prosperity. You will make your way prosperous and you will be successful, God says. So the, the, the Bible does talk about success and it does talk about prosperity. Consider what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse, verse 12. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. That's, that's prosperity there, abundance. Everywhere in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both how to abound and how to suffer need. Paul, the apostle, was successful. If, 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 if any Christian will tell you, he was the greatest apostle, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And he suffered. He had some tough times. He was in bad shape many times, uh, shipwrecked, beaten, thrown in prison, hungry, all those things. But yet he was, a, he was a, much a success. The world might not think he was, but in eternal values, he was. So the Bible, that's just two examples, but the Bible does talk about success and prosperity, and it would be to our benefit to distill that and to drill down into it and look at it, which is what we're going to do today. So let's talk about what biblical success is not. Let's talk about what biblical success is not. Biblical success is not wealth. It's not having a happy life. Pastor talked beautifully on this Wednesday night. So if you were not here, please go listen to Pastor's podcast. And he didn't pay me to say that either. It was awesome. And I've heard several people comment on how awesome it was. But he talked about where the Apostle Paul, when when Jesus uh, came to him and struck him off his horse and all that, he said, tell Paul how what all he's going to have to suffer for my sake. That that was Paul's opening statement from the Lord is that you're going to have to suffer some stuff for my sake. So success by biblical measures does not mean you're going to have a happy life. It doesn't mean you're not going to suffer. It does not mean that all of your dreams will come true. It does not mean your family will be perfect. And it does not mean that everyone is going to think you are attractive, amazing, or be amazed at your talent. All right. Biblical success does not mean any of those things. But notice 
I, and I cannot resist, I have to go here, notice that social media makes you think that that is what success is and that everybody except you on the planet has it. Isn't that true? It is. And so here again, that's where we have to be wise. We're going to talk about wisdom here in a minute too. We have to be wise. The first step to learning about biblical success is putting to death the worldly definition of success that so often seeps into our spirits. And that's what I was telling you about my job. It's easy. You don't even have to try. It'll seep into your spirit. And when your boss calls you in and gives you a raise or does a review and says, hey, you're doing great. Why don't you take the next step and do all these things? You have to be careful not to let all that seep into your spirit. It's okay. It's okay to take those steps. It's okay to be successful, but don't let it ruin your spirit. All right. So that's what biblical success is not. So what then is biblical success? I'm going to have a definition for you in a minute. It's going to come on the, on the screen. I want you to write it down. But for now, I like this. Biblical success is the science of living blessedly, which is probably not the most profound statement. But listen to this. It's the science of living blessedly. It is the art of living within God's favor. I'm going to let that just resonate just a minute. I love that. We're going to look at some Bible here in just a minute, but it is the art of living within God's favor. That's your success. If you're living in God's favor, walking in God's favor, you're a success. Doesn't matter what's going on in your life. Doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. You're a success because you're walking in God's favor. And here's, but here's the tragedy. There are so many Christians, even apostolics, maybe some of us here today, we're dedicated, dedicated to church, educated, affluent, we live in a very affluent society, gifted, gifted Christians, gifted apostolics, yet somehow we still wind up making a mess out of our lives. We're gifted, educated, talented, committed, um, affluent, have talents, we've been educated, but we make a mess of our life. And what is more, and this is very indicting, I'm, I'm talking to myself here, we often live anemic, mediocre American Christian lives and but we're not living biblically successful lives and so that's that's the tragedy of the whole thing we're, we're, we're successful at some standard or some measure but not the biblical standard so um, the reason we know le- uh, relatively little of these things is, is because we've settled for something less than biblical success we've settled for the American dream if I could say it that way we've settled for the American dream and less and, and not for biblical success. So the good news is if we turn to God's word, we can learn how to be successful because his word is the instruction manual of life. And that's what I wish people would understand in our society. When, when you talk about the, the, the things that I referenced earlier in my introduction, the system, the world system that's coming at us and the things that are being promoted and celebrated, what I would like to tell people is just this, that the Bible is the instruction manual for life and it's also the instruction manual for the human soul, right? Like, so God created us. He knows how we're built. He knows how we work. So the Bible contains the answers to everything that mankind needs, men and women need. And if we would go back to that, we would distill the, this wisdom that we're looking for. So the, the, the scripture text today is Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So the first key to biblical success is to fear the Lord. The, the, the wise man said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning. You start with the fear of the Lord. Um, so to begin our success journey, we must understand that the fear of the Lord is something to be embraced. 
we must embrace the fear of the Lord. So what is that? What is the fear of the Lord? Does it mean we walk around scared of him like I did when I was a kid? I, I was a scared kid. I was scared of God as a kid. Back then, the apostolic movement was kind of a scary place for a kid. <laughs> Let's just be honest, right? Like I, would be, I was so afraid on Sunday night that they were going to start shouting, which most every Sunday night they did. And I would just get so scared because I thought the rapture was about to happen. I thought when they started shouting, we were that much closer to the rapture and that I might not be ready. And so um, I would walk around in, in fear of God. That's not what this means. That is not what's going on here at all. Here's what the fear of God is, and uh, I'm going to give you some context here in a second. The fear of God is the recognition that God is the designer of life and that any life lived at odds with his absolute decree is a life that is going to suffer and hurt. That's a lot. If you're writing it down, I'll repeat it again. The fear of God is the recognition that God is the designer of life. And that any life lived at odds with his absolute decree is a life that is going to, excuse me, is going to suffer and hurt. The fear of God is recognizing that we have been born into enemy territory, alien territory. The rules for happiness and tragedy have already been established in this world. We have no say so in it. We have no vote. And we could express our opinion to God, but he's probably not going to accept it. We have we've been born. This is the rules. This is the playground that we've been put in. And God is God and we are not. That's the fear of God. Consider it this way. There was an evangelist traveling in Russia and he, and he told about how when he was traveling in Russia, of course, the kind of the dark communist anti-Christian rule at that time and, and probably still is, I, I assume. Uh, he was a stranger and a foreigner in Russia and he had a tour guide with him. And he said, I didn't know the currency of Russia. I didn't know the language of Russia. And so, I, I, you know, I didn't know the lay of the land. And so I did not let this guide get more than about a foot from me. He said, I was this guide's shadow. And the reason was is because he said, I walked in fear of losing the guide. I, I walked in fear that they would get ahead of me or I would get lost from them. And because I didn't know the lay of the land, but the guide did, I wanted to stay as close to them as possible because I knew that if I stayed close to the guide, my chances of success in the foreign country would go way up. But if I lost track of the guide and got lost in Russia, my chances for tragedy would go way up. And so that's, that's how we should uh, uh, fear the Lord. It's that, that's the fear of the Lord that, God, I don't want to get far from you. I'm an alien. I'm a stranger in this land. I don't want to get too far from you. I want to stay in the center of your heart, in the center of your presence, because I would be in great, or in great demise or in bad shape if I lost track of you. That's what the Bible means when it says we should have the fear of God. Look at what David said in Psalm 39 and 12. For I am a stranger with thee and a sojourner. David thought of himself as a sojourner or a traveler, a stranger in a strange land. We, we know Abraham was called out to be a stranger in a strange land. So these guys in the Old Testament admitted that they needed God and could not successfully navigate life without him. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We began biblical success by having fear of the Lord as I have just framed it. So that takes us into a, de a working definition of the biblical foundation of success. And so to do that, let me tell you what Moses said, and it's along this, this fear of the Lord. I'm going to tell you what Moses said, and then it's going to set us up for our definition. Exodus 33, 15 through 16. Here, Moses and the children of Israel had already come across the Red Sea. 
They were getting ready to, uh, to move forward. So there was great, great victory had been won. They, God had done some amazing things here. They'd already come across the Red Sea. And look at what Moses said. He being Moses said unto him being God. Moses said to God, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? It is. What does it say? It is not in that thou goest with us. And so the point is, as Moses is saying, I had a typo in my notes, so I couldn't I couldn't tell what I was trying to say. Moses is saying here, I don't want to move forward, God, if you don't go with us. Moses was well educated in the courts of Egypt. He was talented. He had gotten common everyday leadership skills from tending sheep in the uh, in the wilderness for 40 years. He was a talented man. He had gifts. He had ability. But yet he said, I don't want to go forward, God, if you don't go with me. That's what he's saying here. I don't want to move forward if you don't want to go with me. That's the fear of the Lord. That's another illustration of what I was just saying. So that sets up our definition. And here it is. The the, uh, biblical foundation for success is being so desperately dependent on the presence of God that your life is shaped by your need for him. We're going to talk about it. It's It's a humbleness. And you're, you're, you're saying, I don't, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough talent. I don't have enough ability. I am dependent on God. I won't make it through this day without God. I won't make it in my career without God. I don't want to make it in my life without God. It is a desperate dependence on God. And that comes from the fear of the Lord as we described it. The second way it comes is acquiring wisdom through knowing the word of God knowing the Bible, knowing, what, knowing about this manual, this rule, or not a rule book, instruction manual. Um, so, so here, let me ask you this question. Are you, are you living your life in such a way that you are convinced of what I just said about, about Moses and fearing the Lord? If you aren't reading your Bible, the answer is probably no. And if you don't know your Bible, the answer is probably no. If you are not in God's word, That means you assume a confidence in yourself that is probably not warranted. In fact, I'll just take the word probably out of it. You're assuming a confidence in yourself that is not warranted. If you you, uh, truly recognize the position of God in your life, you won't move one step in life in self-confidence. And so I just want to pause right there and just kind of let that settle in. And especially, I I just know from, from being a guy, this is especially applicable to the men. In our in our room, we we like to be self-sufficient men do. And we like to you know, we're responsible for ourselves. We're responsible for our families. We're oftentimes we oftentimes we have to be the, um, you know, the decision maker and these sorts of things. And so it's easy for men to be self-sufficient. It really is. It really is. And especially in American culture. Right. Because we're the we're the independent spirit. We're 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 free um, and all those things. But not in our walk with God not in our spiritual leadership, not in a biblical definition of success. We have to have the humility to say, God, I don't want to wake up and make one decision today if you're not all up in the middle of it, if you're not all in my life and I'm not being led by your presence. I don't want to do anything out of a spirit of self-confidence. I want to approach it with humility and wisdom. So a lot of Christians live in ignorance or at best, passive indifference to the wisdom of God found in his word. A lot of Christians live in ignorance or at best, passive indifference at the wisdom found in God's word. So if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, how much insight then do they truly have? 
So the good news is, is of course, is that you can, you can make a change, right? You can begin praying, asking God to help you in consciously making an effort to walk in the fear of the Lord and walking in his word. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, God does have a way of, of stepping into our lives and teaching us these lessons, like, right? And it's usually pretty painful. You know, it can happen. So my, if, 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 you're, if this is resonating with you and you want to make some changes, I, and I, I, I pray this way. I'll be like, God, I need you to correct this in my life. Help me correct this. But please do it gently. Please be gentle. Please. I'm just being honest. I'm like, God, I know you could hit me upside the head with a two by four right now, and it would be very painful. You could put something in my life that would just really hurt. But if you would just give me an opportunity to correct it with some gentle correction, I will do it. So it's okay to pray that way. At least I think it is. So God, so, so, so in his word, I'm going to talk some more about his word. Uh, walking in the fear of the Lord, number one. Walking in the word, number two. Th- 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 this is what we have to do. Um, God has revealed himself through his word in such a way that we can understand him, his creation. And here it is. He's got in his word the, the ability, the revelation for us to understand institutions such as family, society, government, etc. That's all in the rule, or, or the, I keep calling it the rule book, the instruction manual. And that's why I say I wish I could let the world know about this instruction manual because all of this questioning and, and not sure about and trying to try new things and all in our society and redefining this and redefining that. It, God has given us the mechanism for understanding society, family, government, etc. So we have to be in the word. So how do we do that? If I don't possess something, if I don't possess a knowledge or a skill or, or a wisdom, I have to go after it. I have to acquire that. That is something that I have to go after. I'll give you an example. My golf skills are not where I want them to be. Right. They're they're not such that I can uh, enjoy the game. So I signed up for golf lessons. I had my first golf lesson last Monday night and it went well. It went well. You can teach an old dog new tricks, by the way. And uh, he the first thing he did is tell me I was doing everything completely wrong and show me what to do. Right. So that that was good. You have to be teachable. Right. You have to be coachable. So um, uh, so if you if you are lacking in knowledge or you're lacking in skill and I'm talking about life skill, uh, biblical skill in life, then you have to go acquire it. You have to go get it. And so this is such a neat little study, in my opinion. I like uh, the word studies in the Bible. I like looking at root words and these sorts of things. So the Hebrew word chakma, C-H-O-K-M-A, in the Old Testament is used for wisdom, skill, or art. It's translated as wisdom, skill, or art. And, 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 and I, don't, I don't know if I've set this up quite right. What, where we're going here is that you have to get the wisdom from the word of God, but also the life skill from the word of God. You have to acquire the skill for making good decisions. You have to acquire the skill for being a, a success by biblical st- standards. You have to be wisdom. Because of the fall, because of the fall of Adam and Eve, we're not born into life knowing how to be a godly success. We're not born into life knowing how to do this. Now, we are born again, hopefully, when we're born into the kingdom of God, and the Holy Spirit empowers us to do some things, but you have to go after it. You have to go after these skills, this wisdom, these ideas. So the word chakma in Hebrew is used for wisdom, skill, or art. For example, it is used in the book of Exodus for those that wove the tapestries in the tabernacle. They did it with great skill or chakma. 
And I don't know how to say chakma. That's just how I say it. That's the American version. I'm sure it's not said that way. In the book of Isaiah, they waged war with chakma, the ability to win. Now, I like that. You talk about self-help, like get out there and win, 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 win. Well, the Bible has a plan for that, how you can get out and win at life with great chakma. In Ezekiel, the word chakma is used in regard to becoming wealthy, you know, turning a dime to a dollar. They talk about, uh, Ezekiel talks about chakma in that sense. So this is what the Old Testament then describes as wisdom, the ability to be artistic or victorious or prosperous. It's that art of life that I mentioned earlier, learning to play by the rules of the game, which is found in the word. So you go to the word and you learn how to be wise. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul again, let no man deceive himself. If any man thinketh that he is wise among you in this world, let him become a fool that he may become wise. In other words, it's not the wisdom of the world. It's not the wisdom of the world. Wisdom is born out of humility and the recognition of our own ignorance. And that leads us to ask God for help. And so another example of this is found in, in the book of 1 Kings. And I imagine in this crowd today, I try to stay away from saying, you know, the story, because some people may not know the story. But I think in this crowd today, most of you know the story that Solomon uh, became king after his father, David. And God came to Solomon in a dream and said, what do you want? I'll give you anything you want. What do you want? What did Solomon ask for? Wisdom. Basically, and if you look at Solomon's prayer, he prays to God and says, I'm an idiot, God, and I can't do this without you. I need wisdom. And the Bible says God was pleased with that prayer. God said he, he was very, or the Bible says God was very pleased with that prayer. And God answered that prayer. So the point is, is that uh, Solomon sought God for wisdom. So if, if, here's the thing. If being smart means you can learn quickly, wisdom means you forget slowly. I like that. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good sentence right there. Uh, being smart means you learn quickly, but being wise means you forget slowly. You remember the lessons that you learn. Wisdom is not that you can learn. Wisdom is not that you can learn. It is what you learn. And so God doesn't care how smart you are. He just wants you to be wise. So uh, we have to take then the fear of the Lord, the word of God, and distill it down into our lives. It's all right here in the manual. It's all right here in the Bible. And we have to be willing and humble enough to walk in the wisdom of God. So here are um, here here to summarize. And if you want to jot these down, they'll be on the screen to summarize. Biblical success comes when the following um, five things. Number one, that you understand that God wants you to find true success. He wants you to find true success. He wants you to be prosperous, just like he told in, uh, Joshua in Joshua 1.8. We understand that God does want us to find true success. We want to learn to live under the blessing and favor of God. Remember, it's the art of living in the favor of God. We want to walk in the fear of reverencing God. We talked about that. And we want to become desperately dependent on the presence of God. That was our definition. And then finally, acquire wisdom by studying and devouring the word of God. I, I, I submit to us today that we're not in the word of God enough. And, and, and I said us. I'm talking about myself. Um, I'm changing that in my life. Uh, the, the Bible quizzing certainly has helped. You know, when your kids are memorizing, you know, 400 and something verses over 10 months, that helps you get into the word. Uh, reading daily, of course, that's there. But and we got to have that. We got to have Bible studies such as what we're doing today, such as Wednesday night. Uh, sitting down with your family and doing Bible study. But then there's another level, I believe, that every Christian ought to have. It's not just for ministers, where you take out your Bible and you study. 
And you've got to learn how to study the Bible. It, does, it doesn't come natural, right? Like it, you, you're going to open your Bible and you're going to go, I don't even know where to start. And that's true. But there's great material out there. I can give you some ideas. I can give you some stuff to go look at that instructs you on how to study your word. You should have a consistent Bible study time where you're going in and you're doing word studies and you're, you're looking at context and you're, you're doing it. And here's the thing. It is so rich to your soul. You will be amazed at how an in-depth Bible study strengthens your spirit so much. More than just reading it with a passing reading. More than just saying, I read the Bible through in a year. More than reading a devotion. The devotions are great. I love the devotions. But that, even that is kind of quick, five minutes and you're on your way. I'm talking about a, you know, taking an hour and immersing yourself in the Word. Taking two hours and immersing yourself in the Word. It will make a difference in your life. I got just a couple minutes. I'm going I'm going to keep I'm just going to keep you to 1045, I guess. Um, I want to touch very briefly. The first foundation of biblical success is our values, our values. There's actually 12 of these foundations, by the way. So, you know, if uh, if we ever I guess I got you covered. If I talk once a month in here, we we have subjects for all. I don't know. Whatever. Um, values is number one. What do you treasure? What do you treasure in life? That That's your value system. And um, let me just. Um, let me just give you a scripture here. I, I got a lot of material here. Uh, oh, let me give you that. I like this. Values determine your goals and ambitions. Goals and ambitions determine your priorities. Priorities determine your decisions. And decisions determine your destiny. Isn't that good? That's good stuff. But it all starts with what you value. What you value is what you're going to go after, right? Like if I value, if I value my golf game, then I'm going to go ahead and break down and sign up for some lessons and just do it right. That was the point I came to, by the way. I was sick and tired of doing it wrong and getting embarrassed uh, out on the golf course. I was like, you know what? If I'm going to do it, if I'm going to value this, I'm going to do it right and just go just start from scratch. What we value is what we go after. It's true. So let me give you a scripture. First John chapter two, verses 16 through 17. This is kind of the the crux of the whole uh, value uh, uh, study for all that is in the world. What is in the world? The world system, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not is not of the father, but is of the world. So all that stuff that we go after, that American dream business that we get just it just seeps into our spirit. It's of the world. It's not of God. The world because and here's why, because the world passeth away in the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. It's that eternal worldview. I got it. I got to I'm going to close with this story right here. And instead of telling it, I'm going to read it because I think it's written in such a great way. But this this is a, this is a good way to summarize our talk on biblical success and a little bit on values. This is a guy by the name of W.E. Sangster. I assume he's an historian of some sort. He wrote the following about the sinking of the Titanic, and this, this tells you about values right here. As the Titanic was sinking, a frightened woman took her place in one of the lifeboats that was being lowered into the raging Atlantic. She thought suddenly of something she needed in light of the situation. Death was breathing down her neck. She asked for permission to run to her stateroom and was granted a few minutes with the warning that if she did not return in that amount of time, she would be left. She ran quickly across a deck already slanted at a dangerous angle. She ran through a gambling room that had money piled in one corner ankle deep. She came to her stateroom and pushed aside boxes containing jewelry and reached above her bed and got three oranges and then ran to the lifeboat. Death had boarded the Titanic and one blast of its breath had changed all values. In that moment, she preferred three small oranges 
to a crate of diamonds. That's values. That moment had a way of clarifying her values. And we need to live understanding that this world is a sinking ship. This world is going down and it's going down fast. And we don't need to be, we, we, need, we need to not have the worldly value of success. We need to have an eternal value, eternal value and live for the things that are going to last forever. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Hey, y'all been great today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being attentive. I saw you taking notes. That's all. When you're teaching and you see people take notes, that just is, that's like a good amen. So thank you for your attentiveness. And we will see you in church at 11 o'clock. God bless you today.